This episode contains descriptions of animal suffering in nature and in the food industry. If this will be upsetting for you, please skip this episode, and we hope to have you back in the next. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Welcome back, everybody. Hope you are all having a swell week. Swell. I love saying swell. It sounds so 1940s. I feel like we're on an episode of Leave It to Beaver. Yeah, it's like Leave It to Beaver. Yeah, it's been, it seems like it's been a couple weeks since we recorded. I think our, our last recording was with Alex. And by the time you're hearing this episode, you guys will have heard that episode with Alex, the ex-Mormon, which was a really fun episode. I learned a lot from him. Yeah, I, I learned a lot too. Like, so I hope people really enjoy that episode. I've talked to Alex a couple of times since, and he's like, you know, if you want to be to be on for a follow-up, you just let me know. So, <laughs> Yeah. So on Mother's Day, I went, well, you already know this, but I went to like this free book event right. and they had like walls and walls of books about Christianity. And I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. It means that people are getting rid of a lot of books about <laughs> right. Christianity, but I, I, I found a book of Mormon. Right. An actual book. An of Mormon. actual book of Mormon they're all free so i was like hey you know what i'm gonna grab this since we had just talked to alex yeah, yeah so i've been like i've been dabbling in the book of mormon and it's pretty crazy yeah the whole tone of the book is so much like the bible yeah and so when i read that and then i'm like reading the bible and i'm like why did i ever think i mean how can you think one is real and one's not when they're basically the same thing <laughs> right yeah i had this a similar experience back when i was christian when i was in the military i made friends with a guy who is muslim in my unit and i remember me and him sitting in the laundry room one night with me with the bible and him with the quran and we were like talking back and forth about the stuff in our respective religious books and of course at the time i was defending you know it wasn't really like an mm -hmm. argument but like now looking at those two books like they're very similar like in how they're written and like the mythology and like the kind yeah. of the stylistic things that happens in these like religious texts is very similar. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that happened in relation to Mormonism is that a house burned down in my neighborhood. Right. And there's a GoFundMe going around for them. And right after that, I found out that they're Mormon. Oh, geez. Yeah. In light of just talking to Alex, I was thinking the Mormon church should pay for everything. Yeah. They like have everything their insurance doesn't dollars. cover. Yep. Yeah. And these people have been tithing 10% hard of their income right. for years and years and years. At least give them that money back if you're not yeah. going to give them any more. Like they need it. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, the Mormon church won't do that. Alex confirmed that for me. He said they'll never do that. Oh, no, they would never do it. Yeah. And there was actually just an article in the New York Times about the billions of dollars that was uncovered that the Mormon church is just hiding in real estate, which is what Alex had told us in the episode. And the Mormon church just came out and said, hey, it's nobody's business what we do with our money. Exactly. They didn't even try to say like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we're using it to help people, blah, blah, blah. They're just like, they were basically just like, no, fuck everyone. It's our money. Like. <laughs> which yeah, is crazy like th they keep saying they're using it or they're saving it up for when you know jesus comes back or for the culmination of his kingdom or whatever and i'm like why do you need money for that you're not gonna Does need jesus money for take that. your money <laughs> right well clearly does he take dollar bills? I don't know. I guess like according to George, George Carlin, he does, you know, remember that true that, uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. He's like, he's all God powerful. Really needs your money, but he needs money. All right. Well, so today the topic we want to get into um, is something that was sparked by a counter apologetics uh, episode that you had listened to, which was t entitled something like animal suffering is evidence against theism. So we both listened to that. And there's a, a debate that also was on that topic that Emerson was a part of. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit more based on some of the stuff that Emerson Green talked about in that episode and then in the debate. And then, you know, just like how that relates, like the intensity, the volume and intensity of animal suffering in the world, does that serve as evidence to disprove theism? And not just theism in general, but specifically yeah. the Christian version of theism where there's a loving, all loving, all powerful, all knowing God. Yeah. 
this has been an argument um, or a topic that I've been interested in actually for a long time, like years. Okay. Yeah. And I only recently got into it, learning more about it, but it's always been something on my radar, being a nature lover and an animal lover. And you are too. You're, I mean, I think that you're kind of nature minded. Yeah. I think this is one of the most underrated or underviewed arguments against theism, the way that Christians see it. Yeah. Cause I don't think I have, I had ever really thought about this. I mean, I'm definitely yeah. like into animals. I've I, like, I've done animal rescue. I mean, all the dogs that I've ever had have always been rescues. Like I try to eat ethically and yeah, just be a responsible human being. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I ever thought of it. Maybe not consciously that, Oh, this is kind there's a whole bunch of data that kind of supports the idea that how could there be a loving God and then this amount of suffering in the world, you know, in the animal kingdom. So, and I guess this is something that's been on the mind of, of thinkers for a long time. Clearly, yeah. clearly for you as a great thinker, it's been on your mind. So <laughs> yes. I get I might not be as great of a thinker because this has not been on my mind for as long of a time, but I've definitely enjoyed like kind of digging into this. So yeah. So Charles Darwin thought about this. He said, with respect to the theological view of the question, this is always painful to me. I am bewildered. I had no intention to write atheistically, but I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the ichnumai, I'm saying this wrong, I bet, <laughs> ichnumanidae, there it is, which is a parasitic wasp with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars. So this is a wasp that injects its eggs into a host, and when the eggs hatch, the larvae consume the host alive. Oh, that's fun. Right. And so this was <laughs> apparently so problematic for him, like he could not reconcile this with an all-loving God that he wrote this in a letter to somebody. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and there's a lot, and we'll dig into this a little bit more, but yeah, there's a lot of examples in nature where you're like, how could that be part of a loving management yeah. system if the that's the way it goes like <laughs> this is the plan yeah that's yeah. the plan so there's another quote from john stuart mill it says in sober truth nearly all the things which men are hanged or imprisoned for doing to one another are nature's everyday performances and if you're listening about that that's yeah. that's true because like in the animal kingdom there's so much killing and violence yeah. and like Murder it's just, every day all it's day just long. part of the natural order like but if people did that you know we'd all be on death row somewhere right so let's start off with kind of painting a picture of like the volume of suffering, how much suffering mm -hmm. there really is in the natural world. Like we're going to talk about general natural suffering and then evolutionary suffering. So right. General natural suffering is just suffering that's due to the chaotic natural world. And this can either be like by design. Um, and an example of that would be like uh, the claws of a predator mm -hmm. causing suffering. Um, this The claws are for suffering or as a byproduct, like a river, as Emerson gives the example of a river that yeah. you can drown in a river, but the purpose of the river is not to drown you. Right. Yeah. And, th and there's something that we want to clarify a little bit by the word design, because whenever you're talking about evolutionary theory and, you know, which generally leads people down the road to talk about intelligent design and or young earth creationism, you know, there's the design means two different things to what we mean when we say design and to what a Christian might say design means. So in the Christian world, design is like the classic example is like the watchmaker. You know, that's the one you always hear Christians use that like you couldn't just take a jumble of parts, throw them in a vacuum, and then eventually they're going to assemble themselves into a Rolex watch or a Swiss watch. You know, so there's mm -hmm. design intention that the watch designer has to have to put those parts together. But evolutionary biologists don't use design in that same way, right? Right. Yeah. They use it to say that natural selection shaped something to function in a certain way. They don't literally mean that somebody designed it. Right. But there's no thing that is making the intention. It's just like how this thing works. And that there's no goal. Like right. scientists, when they say design, they don't mean it's goal-oriented design. It's just something that happened based on natural processes. Right. So to give a, an idea of the amount of natural suffering in the world, I love this Richard Dawkins quote, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute it takes for me to compose the sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are being slowly devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. If there is ever a time of plenty, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. <laughs> and that's from his book, The River of Eden. Man, that's like, no. it's like so, it's like 
disturbingly poetic like the way yeah. it's, the, the way that's written because it's like we don't really think about the level of stuff that's going on in the animal mm-hmm. kingdom every day and like you don't we don't think about this stuff at all in our everyday life like no humans tend to think that nature is kind of like on this idyllic path and it's on autopilot right and it's just out there and they're doing their nature thing and like <laughs> deer are prancing around in the prairie and right butterflies are just flying by and they're having a fun time sucking on nectar yeah but it's not like that at all that's right. just what we like to think it's like yeah that's how we like to paint the picture i, I yeah. happened to come across like one of those like video shorts it was one of those huge lizard things i can't remember what they're called they like komodo dragons it's it might be like a komodo dragon i can't remember but the thing is huge it's like as big as a crocodile you couldn't see what it was creeping up on and then the camera pans out and there's a baby deer there and this thing assaulted this deer with such swiftness that it was like oh shit like and the deer screamed because like this thing clamped onto it and the deer just mm. went you know like it was like it was actually really disturbing because that's just how it is in nature that animal had to eat and it was like oh look here's yeah. a baby deer i'm gonna go eat it like <laughs> yeah it we're bird lovers in our house you know, my okay. husband's a bird guy so we had a robin that decided to make a nest on under our deck this year and so doug set up a camera so that we could watch this robin and his babies like right. all the time and a house wren they're very territorial for no reason at all other than the, that they are right <laughs> this house wren came up and picked up the babies and just thrashed them around until they died oh jesus <laughs> yeah we got this on camera wow and i was like why the hell is this house rent i mean they don't even eat the same stuff right they have separate nests they're not a threat to each other they're not a threat to each other yeah. there's no reason these house rents have to be so aggressive wow there's no reason these little babies had to live three days and then die yeah that's not the kind of thing you want to catch on your camera either you're like no you and the kids are watching this nice birds so and then all of a sudden here comes hell wren it's going to come in there and just like dominate yeah. that's crazy was very upset yeah so there's just like natural suffering that's part of the design of nature it's just part of the world and then there's physical suffering and the first one we wanted to talk about with this one is food production mm-hmm. forks over knives was the first thing i ever watched of all the food documentaries that i actually considered being a vegan because i was like oh there's you're, like you're horrified there's like no <laughs> ethical way to eat meat like after watching that thing and there's also health things but there's so many animals killed every day just in the u.s there's actually a website called the U.S. Animal Kill Clock. It will link to link to it. Oh, that's cheery. Is that just livestock, like domestic? So this is how many animals currently that have been killed for food this year in the United States, and we're up to one, two, okay, twenty billion nine hundred twenty-eight million oh. seven hundred twenty-eight thousand five seventy-four, and this is changing by about. 15 or 20 every two seconds it changes okay and it goes up like like and this is chickens turkeys cattle pigs ducks sheep fish shellfish um yeah so the amount i mean just think about that number 20 billion animals this year it's it's only may yeah okay so this ties into our theme because even though humans are the ones who are doing this factory type farming we are we're still created with the uh desire for animal flesh we find it nutritionally rewarding and right. it tastes good and that desire is innate in us it, we were created that way right and it didn't have to be that way or we evolved to be that way somewhat. yeah like Sorry. i mean i think when we're you created, say created yeah. you mean like nature created us that way yeah we've evolved basically as the human species and and basically like convincing ourselves that we're the top of the food chain yeah. like some of that is like that narcissism that we've talked about in other episodes that like hey we can kill whatever the fuck we want because we're everything that matters like the animals don't matter yeah it says that in the bible we have dominion over the animals yeah you got dominion yeah so food production is one way you see physical suffering in like an extreme that's an extreme amount of suffering and we have data on that suffering which is why why we're highlighting it here we don't have like data on you know suffering that takes place in a forest that nobody sees yeah and that's an unnecessary suffering that doesn't need to happen really and and if you watch some of these um documentaries you see that the way that they treat these animals the way that they these animals are raised specifically to be killed it's inhumane there's nothing there's no other way to say it and people know that it's wrong what they're doing but you know we don't care as a society yeah i care but i'm also very hypocritical about this because i haven't given it up and i'm like too afraid to watch those documentaries yeah so i fully admit i'm being a hypocrite about this what's the next aspect of physical suffering that we wanted to talk about i'm gonna sneeze okay we're gonna talk about sneezing which which leads right into 
adverse or extreme weather because your sne- <laughs> your sneezes come out at 200 miles an hour. So that's like a category. How did you know that off the top of your head? Come on. I'm a fountain of knowledge. You're like Lars. Yeah. No, I'm not that smart, but um, I think category five is 150 miles per hour. Ooh. So that'd be like an uncategorized right. hurricane just came out of your nose. I staved but... off the sneeze. I'm good. <laughs> Way to go. All right. So adverse and extreme weather. This like is the kind of thing where suffering is like a byproduct. Heat isn't yeah. necessarily, you know, the whole, the goal of heat is not for killing of animals, but yeah, it, yeah. it does that. Like, yeah, it often does that heat stroke. Yeah. And there's more um, extreme weather, like cold animals freeze to death. If birds can't find shelter during an ice storm, then their feet may become frozen to the branch on which they're perching. I did not know this. And <laughs> That's so disturbing. Yeah. Like I said, we're bird people. And I was like, Hey Doug, did you know this? Um, some birds become buried in snow, <laughs> suffocate. Jesus. I'm recalling his face when I told him this. That's fucked up. Like, yeah. and he, and he, the same way i mean we talked a little bit about the animal kill clock but also like farm animals die as a result of extreme weather and they have data from 2019 on this that it was like 927,000 farm animals died as a result of extreme weather and that's across like all the kind of livestock but that's a lot of animals that's almost a million animals dying yeah. just because of heat um i got another stat here about it's more about like global warming and like how that affects like how that's yeah. going to affect like how animals are going to survive and so that's another thing like i didn't even think about that and it's funny it, because farm animals are contributing so much to global warming and then it's Right, then it's eventually gonna gonna kill them them. all. (laughs) Yeah. And us. Yeah. And then, of course, animals get injured just in the course of being animals. I just adopted a cat that had um, came into the Humane Society with a broken leg, and like the femur bone was just completely snapped, and it was like in an X shape on the X ray. And they couldn't save the leg, so they amputated. And then I adopted her. And it just got me thinking, like, the pain that she went through in the month or so that she had that broken leg, trying to walk on it, must have been intense pain, like searing pain like we can't even imagine. And then that happens to animals all the time in the wild, and there's no vets out there to take care of them. Right. Yeah, there's like a wealth, uh, you know, a plethora of injuries that just happen every day as part. And again, injury is one of those things that's a byproduct, you know, of the environment. Like, yeah, gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the environment isn't intending to injure people. It's just kind of what happens. Yeah. And then uh, drowning. I mean, animals drown, people drown. Right. Water is life giving, but it also can take your life. I mean, the world is just full of dangers yeah. that we can't fully avoid. And, this is a little off topic, but when Christians or when theists use the fine tuning argument that oh, the earth is made for us, it's perfect. That's our perfect habitat. No, it's not. No, it's far from it. Right. The wildfires is another one. And I found this stat first before I tell you the stat. Imagine burning to death. I actually can't because I've never burned. Yeah. So I can't imagine how that feels. Well, you probably burned your finger or something, right? Well, sure, but not like second or third degree. Right, but not you know, like catching, not imagine, catching yourself like, on fire. Jack Robertson's daughter, you know, right. I can't even imagine something like that. Now, imagine that times three billion, because that's how many animals were burned alive in just 2020 in Australian wildfires. Oof, yeah. So imagine the pain and the confusion of these poor animals as they're trapped in the forest. Right. And then you'll hear how the ecologists and stuff will talk about how good fire is for yeah for trees for nature and for the yeah. trees and how it's it's actually necessary for the propagation of the forest and all that kind of stuff because yeah. it drops seeds and it does all this kind of stuff. So like that's just a weird intentional design. If that's an in- intentional exactly. design to kill off all the animals in a forest just so you so can drop a bunch of seeds burst open. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just weird and so and yeah and the last one in this section i think is probably both the biggest one for both of us predation like yes it's by design yeah, you can't say that it's a byproduct or it's a perversion of nature that is nature that is how it was quote unquote designed right you got teeth and claws they're specifically de- designed to maul and dismember and kill they're not going for a quick easy death sometimes either like you hear about some no. t- some types of prey that will actually like paralyze yeah paralyze them and they're going to do stuff to them for a, a month or a year <laughs> torture them. yeah just they're going to torture, torture them like it's crazy i mean a snake will take like a month to digest something and it starts eating it whole i saw this happen in my backyard recently <laughs> You've got a really good um, description of a a death of a zebra. Do you want to read this one? The lioness sinks her scimitar talons into the zebra's rump. They rip through the tough hide and anchor deep into the muscle. The startled animal lets out a loud bellow as its body hits the ground. An instant later, the lioness releases her claws from its buttocks and sinks her teeth into the zebra's throat, choking off the sound of terror. 
Her canine teeth are long and sharp, but an animal as large as a zebra has a massive neck with a thick layer of muscle beneath the skin. So although the teeth puncture the hide, they are too short to reach any major blood vessels. She must therefore kill the zebra by asphyxiation, clamping her powerful jaws around its trachea, cutting off the air to its lungs. It is a slow death. The zebra's death throes will last five or six minutes. Oof, that's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you've seen these videos of this happening on like these nature shows and mm -hmm. like you watch it and it's like, it's impressive. And you're like, wow, like, look at that, like lion, the way it hunts and blah, blah. blah. And, and it's fascinating watching that whole behavior. But at the same time, you're like, that's fucked up. Like the zebra is just down at the freaking river trying to drink. And all of a sudden it's got a lioness just chomping on its ass and asphyxiating it like yeah and you really have to desensitize yourself to this kind of stuff like i think yeah. our, our natural inclination is to be horrified and outraged and feel sad for the animal that's being eaten but i don't know over the years i've just placated myself by saying it's nature it's, right sorry that's just that's just nature and i have to do that with my daughter now you know when we watch these documentaries she gets really sad to the point of tears and i'm like sorry girl it's nature yeah circle of life you know like yeah yeah but that doesn't take away the fact that they are suffering when they die. Right. And just because we dismiss it as nature doesn't mean their suffering goes away. Right. So another aspect of the of natural or physical suffering is like diseases and parasites. There's so many diseases and parasites, like things we don't even know about. Like I, I keep hearing about this one. And it's actually the this one terrifies me a lot because I always hear about people getting this in fresh water and they get some bacteria. Oh, that, is it the amoeba that goes in your brain? Yeah, that goes into yes. your brain or whatever. And then, or there's also like a tick bite that you can get that will basically make it so you can't eat meat. It'll make <laughs> it'll make you violently ill if you eat meat. Oh, from well, getting... that would solve our animal husbandry crisis, right? Well, yeah, maybe that's like by design, you know, like, hey, let's <laughs> unleash these ticks so we can save the cows. But, but there's a lot of them, like diseases, <laughs> parasites. Parasites are just disgusting too, where they just like mm -hmm. live in another body of something else and they like digest it from the inside yeah i found an example of a parasite called the guinea worm which is transmitted when a person drinks water containing infected water fleas Ugh. okay so these worms they grow inside you and then they burst out of you they gnaw their way out of your skin causing incapacitating pain that sounds real pleasant luckily infection has substantially diminished as a result of eradication efforts there's one called avian salmonellosis Oh, that's not and, a parasite. That's a disease. That's a disease. Yeah. yeah. But it, it like the, the symptoms of this disease for a bird, I guess we're really harping on birds because you're a bird person. Yeah. The symptoms of this thing that of what it causes for the bird, like it causes their feathers to like fluff up. They get unsteady. They shiver. They have loss of appetite. They're like increased thirst or a lack of thirst. They lose weight, accelerated respiration, watery yellow or green blood tinged droppings. They basically get diarrhea and their feathers get all covered with shit. <laughs> Before they die, they just go blind. Like, oh, wait, you forgot the convulsions, oh, tremors, incoordination, staggering. <laughs> oh, I ran out of breath because it's like, the best how, part. How can you have this many symptoms for one fucking disease, too? Because it's like, I know. Yeah. So I was really fascinated with Ebola for a while. Ebola is the probably the most disturbing disease I've ever oh, yeah. heard of. Like, Easily. it is fucking disgusting. And yeah. the beginning symptoms are just like your common cold symptoms. So you don't even know what's coming. Runny nose, headache, fever, you know. I mean, it's it's a lot like COVID started, you know. So it's like these basic, um, mm -hmm. which kind of leads into the next thing of like pandemics. Mm -hmm. Why would you have this level of suffering in the world? Like COVID-19 is a worldwide pandemic and it, it's still ongoing. That's not even the biggest one. Like stat-wise, I went to Wikipedia and we'll post the link to this too, but it's got a list of all the like epidemics and pandemics basically since the beginning of time. And then it ranks them by like, the number of deaths that happen and COVID is like number five on this list the first one is black death which killed yeah anywhere from 75 to 200 million people it was like 17 to 54 percent of the world population died from that disease that like, is crazy that's and, almost like a mass extinction yeah it's it's crazy and actually number three on this list is so old that's it's called the plague of justinian which is the death was 15 to 100 million too. And this was like a long ass time ago, 541 AD. So like these things have been persistent throughout time. I thought that was interesting because I think that's the oldest known plague that was recorded. 
And the Spanish flu, I didn't realize it killed this many people, 17 to 100 million in the span of two years. Yeah, that's crazy. Like the amount of death, the reason we're bringing up like that kind of thing is just to show the scale of suffering that is happening in the world. And that's human suffering. And we, you know, we were talking about animals, but humans basically as animals are, are part of this ecosystem that is subject to suffering and death. Yeah. And then you got starvation in, from the 1860s yeah. to 2016. It's estimated that 128 million people have died of starvation. That's only 160 years out of hundreds of millions of years. So when I think about starvation, I think like, what if I created a habitat, like a cage, and I put a bunch of some, like some kind of creature inside? Yeah. And I purposely did not give them enough food or I made access to this food very difficult. Wouldn't that make me evil it would make you a pretty shitty person like yeah like whenever you hear people talk about starvation and poverty and things like that people just say oh that's just like a byproduct of whatever it's like there's there's enough food in the world to actually for everyone to eat like yeah so why would you have a system where there is some people that can't eat and again if you're the omnipotent all-loving god why would you tolerate that like it doesn't make sense yeah I think the last thing in this section is about extinctions. Yeah, I, I really like this one. Yeah. Okay, so there have been five major mass extinctions that we can see in the fossil record, the most famous of which is the Cretaceous tertiary extinction, which wiped out all the non-avian dinosaurs, right? So that was 65 million years ago. It also wiped out 50% of all plants and animals. And here's another interesting figure that 99.9% .9 of all species of plants and animals that have ever lived are now extinct. That's crazy. So this is really hard to explain under a theistic evolutionary framework. Like even if you accept evolution right? and you say, no, God did it. God was guiding it. How do you make that fit? Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to explain on an indifferent process, but not on a theistic one to yeah. me. That makes a good, a good lead into the next kind of suffering we're going to talk yeah. about, which is like suffering that's just due to the mechanism of evolution. It's like similar to natural suffering, but this is like the mechanism that evolution uses is suffering. <laughs> like, Yeah. In short, we, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for all the suffering of the creatures that came before us. Right. Suffering is baked right into evolution. I mean, you can't have evolution without suffering. It's a system based on death. Right. All right. So what do we mean by this? For there to be changes over time, there's some individuals and population that are going to have advantages and some are going to have disadvantages. So nature selects for these things called selection pressure. And then the individuals with a disadvantage are not going to survive. They're not going to reproduce as well as the other. So how would this manifest? So this could manifest in the form of starvation, which we've already touched on, but this could be due to not having long enough claws to dig tubers from the ground with or something like for some reason, you just can't find food as well as right. the other individuals in the population. Yeah. We can do uh, like freezing to death where you, you know, your coat. Like it's not long enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's not long enough. Yeah. Or you could be mauled by a predator because you are not able to outrun that predator. You're not fast enough, or maybe you don't have good enough eyesight to see the predator coming. Right. Or illness or your immune system, like you're more prone to disease. That's what the evolutionary mechanism does. It's the, the goal is survival, but in order to get to that survival, there's going to be things that die. <laughs> like, casualties. Yep. Casualties. Yeah. Yeah. There was a day last year when we were at my kid's school for an outdoor event. And I guess recently a bunch of baby frogs had hatched and there were like hundreds of thousands. I mean, yeah. I might even say a million baby frogs on the, on the on the school grounds hopping around. Like in the grass, like or just all yeah. over the place. In the grass, on the sidewalk, everywhere. Okay. And obviously they were getting stepped on because there were tons of people outside. Kids and I everywhere. just kept yeah, I just kept thinking, like, these poor frogs, they just hatched. This is their first or second day in, in the right. world. And they're trying to get down to this pond, right? And I'm I'm thinking 99% of these frogs have to die, but that's okay because the 1% that survive are going to be able to be enough to sustain the frog population. Right. But this is hard to reconcile if you think that a loving God created this system right. and is guiding creatures and cares about the sparrows and you know all that <laughs> crap. Right. It doesn't line up. That's the same thing with turtles. I was here about because we go on vacation to Hilton Head, which is a big turtle area. Like there's millions of these turtles that'll hatch, and then it's this rush to the, get to the ocean, and most of them aren't going to make it. Yeah. But the ones that do make it are enough to to keep the turtle population 
at the appropriate level for survival, you know. And and to advance evolution, right? Because the ones that make it are best suited to making it. Right. And the frogs that made it to the pond are, I don't know, either they're lucky or they had some kind of trait that made them more right. susceptible getting to the pond. Um, so this is the system that evolution in nature set up. Yeah. And it's just so obvious to me that this is unguided. It's indifferent. When I, we were just down in Myrtle Beach, we went on that like boat cruise and they were talking about I forget what animal it was now where she laid like a, like a million crab. Yeah, it was some kind of, oh that's right it was a crab, yeah. And she laid like a million eggs but only like 5 5 of the million eggs survived out of a million. I mean Yeah. That's a crazy number like Yeah. A million so you know 999,000 eggs are dying. And that is a system of competition. Yeah. And that's it. That's crazy. Yeah. So moving on, what do we not mean when we say natural suffering? Yeah, we don't mean that like because we die, we suffer. We're not talking about like the process of like natural death. It's natural and normal to die. We are talking about needless, gratuitous suffering that doesn't have to happen. Instead of the fawn dying in a forest fire, that fawn could live a life of plenty with its fond friends and die in its <laughs> sleep as an elderly deer in a deer nursing home. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Is that too much? To ask? And we're also not talking about the concept of pain. Yeah. Pain is actually a beneficial Pain's a good tool. thing to tell you, oh, I need to get out of this situation or yeah. I may die. This is like, dangerous. I'm experiencing harm. Right. Yeah. Pain is for our benefit. So we aren't saying that just because we experience pain, there can't be a God. That's right. not what we're saying. Right. I remember there's a science fiction book about a whole race of people that couldn't experience pain and they were just getting hit by cars and stuff because they didn't know. There are people that are born without the pain pathways. Yes, like high, high pain thresholds. Well, no, they don't feel any pain at all. Oh, yeah. There are people who don't feel pain and oh, they're always getting into danger and they, they'll like scratch their arms until they bleed. Right. They just don't know. Yeah. Pain definitely serves a purpose. That is not the kind of suffering we're talking about. That is suffering with a purpose. Are suffering and evil the same thing? Like, what? Do you, what's your thoughts on this? I think there, there's overlap. I think that evil can cause suffering, but I don't think all suffering is evil because I think evil connotes some kind of like moral agency. And I don't think that nature can be evil since nature isn't conscious. Right. But if a God's doing this, I think that would be evil. Right. Like to me, evil indicates intention. Exactly. A serial killer is intending to inflict harm on his or her victims because they derive pleasure from it. That is evil. Yeah. A person dying in a car accident, while tragic, is not necessarily the result of evil. Exactly. If it's an actual accident, you know. But we're bringing this up because this whole argument is called the problem of evil. Right. Emerson especially does not like to use that term. He likes to call it suffering for this very reason. So right. I, you can use the terms interchangeably, but I think that for our purposes, I, I like suffering better. If you use the idea of the problem of evil, it's easy to say, well, there's just people that are evil that do evil shit. But when you say the problem of suffering, it makes the problem much bigger and much harder to dismiss. Yes. You can't dismiss the problem of suffering by saying, oh, that's just how God works. Like we've already pointed out, there's too much. There's too much suffering in the world to say, oh, that's just all part of his plan. Like, yeah. So let's talk about the idea of teleological and teleonomic evil. So this is something that Emerson talked about a little bit in his um, episode. But yeah, so the terms teleological and teleonomic yeah. <laughs> are two terms I had not heard before. But teleological means that it's a purposeful goal directedness brought about through human or divine intervention. So in relation to natural suffering, it's suffering caused by organisms acting according to their natural purposes. And if you're a theist, you believe that their purpose was created by God. Right. But if you're like us, you're a naturalist, you think that nature is all there is, then teleonomy is the appearance of purposeful right appearance right purposefulness of living organisms brought about by natural processes like natural selection so that's distinct from teleology which is from a divine entity so if you hear those terms like if you're listening to any more episodes of podcasts about this that's what that means all right so we've talked at great length about the volume mm -hmm. of suffering in the world which i th i think is important because it's 
one of those things that like in our everyday life, we don't think about the volume of suffering in mm-hmm. nature, in nature. Like even we didn't even talk about like human suffering, like the amount of people that are killed in a year, you know, or the amount of, you know, violent crimes and all. The- but this is why I think that the natural animal suffering is a better argument because like the theist can say human sin, right. the fall, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't explain why animals have to suffer. Right. That's why I think this is so powerful. That's why it's such a great argument because like almost everyone would agree that animal suffering is bad. <laughs> it doesn't seem like everyone agrees that human suffering is well, bad, but you know, most everyone would agree. Most everyone. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next thing we want to talk about. And this is pretty interesting, mostly from like a, like a, almost like a pure logical, mm-hmm. like this is the kind of thing I don't necessarily think would work in an, like a discussion, but it's like, actually fascinating to talk about. And we've talked about this before about miracles and things like that. The power of probability and the pattern of distribution of suffering in the world. I love how Emerson says this. Yeah. So in his most recent debate, he used the term kind, degree, and distribution of natural suffering. Pretty sure he coined this. Yeah. (laughs) And I really like it. So the kind is basically everything we outlined above, needless suffering. The degree is the sheer amount of suffering that has taken place over the millions of years of the Earth's history before humans even came around. And Mm. now that humans are here, just in that short time. And then the distribution of suffering is that pain is experienced in a pattern consistent with evolution. And so like natural selection explains why creatures feel pain and when they feel pain, like in what situations. Pain and suffering, it's not distributed according to who deserves it the most or who could learn the most from it. That would be like a morally intelligible distribution we don't see that so this concept like applies to good and bad things happening to humans too i could like think of a few phrases that people say like to exemplify this yeah that nice guys finish last (laughs) no good deed goes unpunished right like there is no rhyme or reason to good and bad things happening to people right it doesn't happen that way in nature either yeah the distribution point i think is a really interesting one that he gives like kind of an equation for the way pain and suffering is distributed throughout the world isn't consistent with a loving deity. It's it's consistent with evolution. If there was a loving deity that was planning the pain and suffering, then you would, uh-huh. ex- you would expect it to follow a pattern, like you said, of, okay, well, who's going to learn the most from this pain or suffering? Or like this person or animal, this animal deserves suffering, you know, whereas if it was an evolutionary process or a natural process, it would be random throughout the entire population, which is what you see. Yeah. And translating this to the human world, this is like your your godly friend who got cancer or my phlebotomist who's dying of lung cancer. Like, right. They're suffering right now and they don't deserve that. They're godly. Right. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. All right. So this is also stolen from Emerson, but I changed his um I changed his variables because he's like, I don't know, K and N or something. And I was like, I wonder why he did it that. It was E and H. Yeah. E and H, which maybe they stand for something. Oh, evidence and hypothesis. Oh, that makes sense. He never explained that because he's smarter than everybody. He just assumes that we know that. Just assumes that we know. Just, but we're not as smart as Just he like is. we know what teleology and teleonomy are. But all yeah. right. So. In our dumbed down version of this equation, the flawed theology version, the flawed theology version of this is like, if A proves B, does the lack of evidence for A reduce the likelihood that B is true? So in this case, A would equal the pattern or type of suffering is such that it would give evidence to theism. It's not needless. It's like, the distribution makes sense morally. Like good things would only happen uh-huh. to good people. Bad things would only happen to bad people. And then B would equal theism. So if A is evidence for B, then not A is disconfirming evidence for B. Does that make sense? So it reduces the likelihood of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I like- I know, this is hard. I kind of like this. This is almost one of those things to be easier to see on like a whiteboard. Uh, yeah. But like it doesn't necessarily prove, and, and Lars made this distinction and I love it and I use it all the time. There's a difference between proof and evidence. So it yeah. doesn't necessarily prove that B is not true, but think of it like this. If you find my DNA at a crime scene, that would be evidence for me being the murderer. It doesn't prove it. It just proves that maybe I was at the crime scene. But if you didn't find my DNA at the crime scene at all, it greatly reduces the likelihood that I committed the crime because there's no evidence at all that I was at the crime scene. Let me reiterate this. So if finding your DNA at a crime scene would be evidence for you being the murderer, 
then not finding your DNA at the crime scene reduces the likelihood that you are the murderer. Although it doesn't mean that you're not the murderer. Yeah, not A doesn't disprove it, but it takes away the evidence. So yeah, that, that's kind of, a, a I don't know, it's like one of those um, splitting hairs to skin distinctions that I think is really important because you hear the word proof used all the time when you're arguing with people or when you're discussing, they're like, well, there's just no proof for that or whatever. And I find myself saying, Evidence. Evidence. I try to say evidence yeah. more often because there's very few things in this realm, you know, when you're discussing theology and stuff that are proof based. There's a lot of evidence based things. Proof leads to a conclusion and evidence just assists us in determining the reality or existence of something. Yeah. So a total collection of evidence can prove a claim. I just got this off of Google. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, somebody posted the other day on Facebook, like that they want to be an evidence-based person. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly like how I think it's like, if there's yeah. not evidence for it, there's just no need to accept it. And that also goes back to a point that we've made several times that there's a difference between accepting evidence and believing things by faith. Like when you have evidence for things, there is now no need for belief or faith. Because right. you just accept the facts for what they tell you. And only the facts. Yeah. Now, on the other side of that, it seems like so, it makes Obvious. so much sense. Like, why would you ever just believe things because, because someone told you? we were you. indoctrinated to. Yeah, it's. We were told we'd be bad people if we did. If we didn't. Yeah, exactly. So going back to A and B, um, how this all ties in to A and B is that the reality of natural suffering that we do see around us does not disprove theism, but it does reduce its likelihood. Since if we did see a different or better world that makes more moral sense, that would be evidence for theism. Right. So because we don't see that, it's evidence against theism. Right. But it doesn't have to be like equal and opposite. Right. Like Emerson said, doesn't have to be equal and opposite evidence, the strength of it. Right. But it does push it down the other the other direction. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting point that he made. It's like, it's not, yeah, it's not equal and opposite. There is levels of strength of evidence. So- yeah. All right. So we're basically saying that if the distribution of suffering had some kind of pattern, then it would indicate that there's someone at the controls, right? Which is what we what we said earlier. Like, if the pattern of distribution is random, then it would seem to indicate that nobody's at the controls, which is kind of right. well, that's what we see. Yeah. And that would go for good things too. So, like good things you see distributed randomly too. Like when I wander when I want a free cruise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't deserve that. Yeah. Didn't teach me anything. Yeah. It was just something random that happened. So if you're taking all these points and you're putting them together, we have a reality that contains suffering of a certain kind, degree, and distribution. And the alleged creator of the universe is all loving, all powerful, and omniscient, and is in control. Do those two things go together? Are they coherent? No, they're they're very incongruent. Like they Yeah. Yeah. And how can we fix it? Well, you can either make the creator malevolent. You know, yeah. or you just get rid of the creator, you know, which everything yeah. comes from unnatural, unguided processes. And since we're evidence-based, which one are we going to do? We're going to just say bye-bye creator because yeah. it makes more sense logically. I mean, when you think about all the ways that God could have brought us about, he chose evolution <laughs> to do it. Right. First of all, it took billions of years. It caused unimaginable suffering. Yeah. Why? So I think this is from Hume, David Hume. He wrote like a treatise called Dialogues Concerning Natural Religions, which I've never read the entirety of the thing, but this is an excerpt from that. And so this is what it says. Did I show you a house or a palace where there was not one apartment convenient or agreeable, where the windows, doors, fires, passages, stairs, and whole economy of the building were the source of noise, confusion, fatigue, darkness, and the extremes of heat and hot and cold? You would certainly blame the contrivance without further examination. The architect would in vain display his subtlety and prove to you that if this door or that window were altered, greater ills would ensue which may be strictly true. The alteration of one particular while the others of the parts of the building remain may only augment the inconveniences, but still you would assert in general that if the architect had skill and good intentions, he might have formed such a plan of the whole and might have adjusted the parts in such a manner as would have remedied all or most of these inconveniences. His ignorance, or even your own ignorance of such a plan, will never convince you of the impossibility of it. If you find any inconveniences and deformities in this building, you will always, without entering into any detail, condemn the architect. Oh, yeah, that's good. And I think that also helps rebut some of the Christian responses we're going to talk about. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the Christian responses and then how we would kind of rebut them. This one is from the debate that Emerson mm-hmm. had with, I can't remember the guy's name that he did. So we'll just post the link to the debate so you can listen to it. One of his responses was basically, he said, we don't know what the best possible world could be, or we don't know that this isn't the best possible universe. Like, Yeah. And Emerson kept saying, I can, I can change one thing. Like, right. what if there's one fawn that doesn't die in a forest fire? That's a better world than this one. Right. And the other guy just kept saying, no, I don't, I don't think we can say that. Well, yeah. We he know. kept saying, presumably like, oh, well, presumably that might be better, but you don't know that. Like, well, yeah, but in general, most people would agree that less suffering equals better, right? But he can't admit and that. He, could, he couldn't admit it. Like, so there's so many problems with that because it goes right to the point that we were saying you have to make God malevolent. If you believe in God and you want to hold to that and then say you can't know what the best possible universe is, your God has to be malevolent then. You don't really have a choice. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. And he kept, he kept talking about how we don't have God's wisdom and foreknowledge and overarching view of the universe. And so we can't possibly know if this universe could be better. Right. I think that's complete BS. Yeah, it's the frustration of arguing with uh, his ways are higher than our ways. or And it goes right along with the God is in control and he knows better. But there's no evidence that he does know better. And it's not, it wasn't a real argument. It was just like a stopper. It was like yes, Emerson's argument is like running into a wall. The thought terminating cliche. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It wasn't a real a rebuttal. So I don't know that anyone besides this person who is a very intelligent guy would say this kind of thing. Cause I think most people, if, and you mentioned this in another episode, like when you're talking to people, like ask them, can you imagine one way God could do something better or something different that would be better? And if you can, if the person is intellectually honest and can say, well, maybe God could do this better, you know, that's the beginning of the end because you have to start, <laughs> you have to pull the thread there from there. Because if you as a flawed, sinful human can think of a better way to do it than God, then that means yeah. you're God. So the guy from this debate, he also said that the reason that they're suffering is that that's the best way for us to self-actualize, for creatures to self-actualize. What he meant by that was like that we develop ourselves to get to our final form instead of like God poofing us into our right. you know final form. Right. Which uh, that makes no sense to me because not any one creature is self-actualizing. No. It's been like across millions of years we've suffered. No. And like a lizard that gets ripped to shreds by another creature. How is that helping it self-actualize? Right. He didn't give any specifics. It was just like this thing he threw out and it made no sense. There's, well, the whole idea of self-actualization is just, again, it's another one of those terms. Well, first of all, you pirated it from like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, which mm. most Christians do don't even accept as real anyway. So then to use self-actualization as like, this is the goal that we're trying to achieve, but there's no concrete way of describing what self-actualization is. There's no criteria for it. Like, (laughs) Well, and he didn't even say whether like we had done it yet. So have humans self-actualized or are we still going? Have we not reached our final form? I guess not because we're still evolving. Like at what point are we done self-actualizing? Right. Yeah. And like, and how could you say maybe there's some people who have self-actualized, but no one can agree on who has like. What does predation have to do with self-actualization? Like if we're talking about doing one thing better and getting rid of predation. Right. We're all herbivores or we all photosynthesize or we all scavengers. Right. How is that going to get in the way of our self-actualization? <laughs> it wouldn't. It's not. If anything, it would probably help because no one's getting killed needlessly. Yeah. Yeah. It was just rationalization. It's just him trying to rationalize our current reality with what he wants to be true. Yeah. So another thing that, not this apologist, but a different one, I think it was in the debate with the dry apologist, Emerson Green and the dry apologist. This one used the butterfly effect or the chaos theory. So like saving the fawn in the woods could prevent some other good thing from happening. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's like literally what he said. So Emerson brought up a good point. Like in that case, we're going to overanalyze every moral decision that we make. And this reminded me of Cheaty from The Good Place. Yeah. Like he didn't know whether to get the blueberry muffins right. or like- I've been watching a bunch of clips from that show this week just because we've been talking about it. I'm like, oh, I might need to rewatch the show because it's like- Oh, it's so good. It's so good, but- yeah, we would be constantly overthinking everything. Right, because then there's no such thing as like a meaningless decision. Like every decision has potential impact. And there's plenty of people that would yeah. say that. They're like, oh yeah, your decisions have a ripple effect. But like 
in reality, there's no way really that you could say in nature, if there was less predation, there's some bad outcome that could come from that. Yeah. And I mean, it, if you use that same argument for human suffering, then you're also saying like, we should not save or God shouldn't save or we shouldn't save kids from being trafficked, sex trafficking, you know, right? because there could be something good that comes out of it right. in a hundred years from this one child being sex trafficked. Right. That is a ridiculous thing to say. And nobody would ever subscribe to that. Mm, I, I would challenge that there's not no one that wouldn't oh, really? say, Ugh. because look at, look Gosh, at, I would hope not. but look at all the times you see people post something about something horrific that happened in their life. Oh, I don't right. know specifically about a person who survived sex, tra sex trafficking, but look at someone who maybe was a sexual abuse a a survivor as a child and then grows up to be a therapist. And so right. now because they survived sexual abuse, they can use their experience and their healing from their trauma to help other people. So they'll say, they would say, God used that thing for good, you know? And so maybe there's a purpose for me having been sexual abuse, like, but if there was no sexual abuse, she wouldn't need to be a therapist for sexual abuse. Correct. So that's a circular right. thing. I mean, I feel like this butterfly effect thing actually makes perfect sense for Christians to use because it's what they're doing every anyway. They're, they're assigning value to literally everything that happens in their life and in the universe because it all has some bigger meaning. You're right. Okay. What's another Christian response? The go-to Christian response for any kind of suffering is free will. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with animal <laughs> suffering and free will. How does our free will result in animal suffering? I don't know. Well, and do animals have free will? No, they're programmed. They're running on instinct. Yeah, that's why this whole argument for animal suffering is such a good one, because you can't say that animals have free will, and that's the reason yeah. that they're suffering. The lion isn't choosing to attack the gazelle. It's fucking no. hungry, and it's made to do that. It has a drive to do that. Yeah. The things that you would use for humanity fall flat when you're talking about animal suffering, which is why it's such a I guess a good... it could like choose this gazelle or that gazelle. But other than that, I don't think it has free will. Which exactly is what it's going to do. It's going to pick the weakest one. True. You're right. It doesn't have free will. No. Okay. no it's free like, will. Oh, that one's weak. It's slow. I'm going to get his ass. Like You're right. You're right. And then this goes right along with like the idea of sin. This is how they would try to explain This suffering. is it. Yeah. Sin yeah. is the reason that there is animal suffering in the world. The world has fallen and it's the explanation for all the suffering and bad in the world. This is hollow for many reasons. Like That sucks for the animals. I mean, why do the animals have to suffer for something that Eve did? Right. Adam, for that Adam and Eve did. Right. And again, to God's omniscience, if God knew we were going to sin, it was going to result in millions and billions of animals dying. Why the fuck would he allow it? Can you imagine if like animals could learn this fact? Like what right. if all the animals became aware of the fact that they're suffering because of something that we did? Yeah, there would be a real problem. We'd be in trouble. There'd be an uprising. Yeah, we'd have some real problems on our hands because I'm pretty sure I'm not outrunning any lions. You know, I would <laughs> no. just I would just have to outrun whoever's next to me who's slower. But yeah, but sin in general is weak for a lot of reasons. Like sin is something that was invented by man as a construct for well, power and control. So. Oh, that's what we think. Yeah. And then but the Bible also says that God created sin and evil. There's a lot of places where yeah. that happens. I have one of them here from Isaiah, where it says, I am the Lord and there's none else. I form the light. I create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that God knew all this, right? He's He did nothing to stop it. And we've already talked at length about this paradox. But yeah. if you take the Genesis story literally, like I know your parents do, my parents do. Mm -hmm. And they would absolutely cite the fall as the reason for predation. Right. It, this is a huge overreaction on God's part yeah. to Eve eating a fruit, right? Right. Like Eve, okay, so everything was hunky-dory. Everybody was eating plants and even lions, right? And T-Rexes. Sure. They, could, they couldn't reach anything. <laughs> I just got a 3D printed T-Rex, but it's on my desk at work and it's awesome. But sidebar. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so... So like what exactly happened? What's the timeline here? Like Eve ate the fruit, God got mad, and then invented K9 teeth. Right. Did the lions not have K9 teeth before and now suddenly they have nine teeth and so do humans? Right. This is just ludicrous. People don't really think about the mechanism of it happening. Right. The animals were all in the garden anyway. So you're saying that before the fall, before Eve took the fruit, and actually it's not Eve taking the fruit, remember, it's you know, Eve ate it and then gave it to Adam. And then that was the that was the real kicker that that killed everybody yeah. you know so right when that happened all of a sudden the lion was like "Ooh, zebra how you doing and he goes yeah. over there with the freaking claws and then 
But before, what was that lion eating before? Plants. The, the lion was just eating plants. And then all uh-huh. of a sudden, a little switch happened and says, I'd rather have zebra now. And not just that, but it grew the tools to right. kill the zebra. That's what I want to know. Is it like immediate canine teeth just emerged from its mouth? Right. And, claws. and it grew claws in that one moment. Yeah. Or did it have them all already, but they were just used for like dormant? They were just for <laughs> scratching other lions' backs. Like that's what they were for. Well, what were wasp stingers for? And paras- like, did the parasites exist yeah. or did they just poof into existence at right. the time of the fall? Yeah. It's all falling apart, Phil. It doesn't make any yeah, sense. It all falls apart. And then this is related to the sin thing, but I forget where I saw this. I think it was on Reddit or maybe it was a um, a blog post. It was a comment on a blog post. That's what it was. Yeah. David Attenborough had like a clip of talking about a parasite in the eye. Yeah, it was. It was Attenborough. He was on TV and he was being interviewed about why he didn't believe in God. And he basically used this African worm eating a child's an eye saying that if there's a God, then he's a pretty heartless God. And then this is a Christian article. <laughs> It says, let's not forget that the child is also not innocent in this, but is a sinful human being, just like the rest of us. As sad as it is to hear of or see children in these and other terrible circumstances, we must remember that sin is to blame for all of the evil in this world. It may not be the child's sin, but sin caused the fall, which has degenerated this world and its creatures. I hurt for children like that, but I must give glory to God for his mercy and his justice. What the f- That's awful. Especially the last line. I hurt for children like that, but I must give glory to God for his mercy and his justice. Yeah, it's like, how can how can you just automatically attribute the idea of a child being a sinner? And so then by that thing that all of a sudden they get parasites in their eye, we're just supposed to accept it as an offshoot. Yeah. I mean, I've even seen it with Christians, like bad things happening to them. They say, oh, maybe I deserve this because of I haven't been, you know, walking with God or like... Or I had an impure thought. Yeah, like the amount of like self-deprecation you have to have. You have to view yourself yeah. as so low. That I deserve a parasite in my eye. Right, or or anything that happens like that's bad in your eye. You have to look for, again, you have to look for some meaning because it's too hard for people to just say shit happens. Exactly. And theists have to have meaning. They can't have random patterns. That would open the door to things not being meaningful and not coming from God and right. things just happening. And God has to be in control of everything. So they can't say that the parasites aren't from God. They have to say it's from the fall. To kind of wrap things up, our last thing we were going to talk about, which we already kind of touched on, like what would nature look like if there really was a loving God in control? And the way we've asked this before is like, if we were God, how could we do it better? Like, because that Mm -hmm. guy in the debate said he can't imagine a better world. He goes, I don't really know what a better world would look like. Well, yeah, I can think of like 50 things like right off the bat. Give me some. Well, we mentioned one like predation. You could get rid of predation. You could get rid of famines. You could get rid of diseases. You could get rid of parasites. You know, if we all photosynthesize, that would get rid of predation and famine. Right. If an all powerful God could create beings, he could make us photosynthesize. Yeah. And I think that somebody could use the uh, the argument that like, oh, but then, you know, eating gives us so much pleasure and like we get the taste and everything. There's no reason why we couldn't get pleasure from photosynthesizing. What if it feels amazing? Yeah. I know it feels pretty damn good when you're out in the sunshine, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. So again, an all-powerful God could have made us however he wanted. Yeah. There are no constraints here. Right. We currently get pleasure from eating bacon. Fucking love it. But he could have made it so if we ate bacon, it was fucking disgusting. Yeah. I, I would love to get rid of the his ways or higher thing. That's such a cop out for like, oh, we can't imagine a better world because his ways are higher than ours. Bullshit. <laughs> yes, we can. Yeah. And I think any person who's actually honest with themselves would say, I can imagine a better world or I can imagine one thing that God might might could do a little bit better. God could have done this better. He didn't have to kill my brother or let my brother die or let my brother have this horrible cancer. Or I have a friend now who's dealing with breast cancer. Like she, she doesn't deserve that. Like, you know, yeah. your phlebotomist doesn't deserve painful lung, lung cancer. And, and that's the thing. It's not that we don't have to die. It's that we don't have to die in such a painful, drawn out way. Right like cancer is, or um, people who burned to death, right. or people who starved to death, like kids who starved to death in Africa. Right. All this is just needless suffering. There is no good that comes out of a kid starving to death alone in Africa. No, nothing. 
So humans in general have the ability to respond to suffering in the world. And you see, you see humans doing that to animal suffering and human suffering. You see a lot of people donating to their local SPCA. There are a lot of people rescue, rescuing animals. There's a lot of people donating to conservation organizations and environmental organizations. Yeah. I support people who I know are out there reducing suffering. Like an example is um, Kristen who does the kitten sanctuary. Mm-hmm. She is dedicating so much time and effort to reduce the suffering of these kittens. Right. Or the water production around the world or all these kinds of things. There's all kinds of ways to reduce suffering in the world as humans that we can do. It goes back to the idea that if we as evil humans have the ability to do good and ease people's suffering, why can we do better than God? Why does God get away with it? Right. If we can do it, why can't God? He's supposed to be all powerful. So this is more of, I don't know, it's kind of a rhetorical question for us to think about. Like, But what is our responsibility, you know, with regard to animal suffering? And you mentioned like, you know, you can donate and support causes that help ease animal suffering, like the kitten sanctuary and like your local, you know, pet rescue. But the food production thing is a tough one. Like, I'll be the first person to admit I really like meat. And I've watched a lot of these documentaries and I used to be much more kind of aggressive about where I got my meat from and all that kind of stuff, because there are like a quote unquote ethical ways to, you know, have meat in your diet, you know, but then if you really think about it, should we be vegans? Is that really like the ultimate expression to demonstrate that we actually care about animal suffering? Because it's really easy to wax eloquent for an hour and a half on a podcast about saying mm-hmm. suffering of animals is evil. And then for us to run out the door to Burger King or, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's why I said earlier, like, I'm absolutely hypocritical about this. So I guess I would take this as like, it's a challenge to us, us yeah. actually, and us, all of you guys listening, like think about the ways that we can change our lifestyle to ease animal suffering in the world. Yeah. Cause like everybody understands and would agree that it's inhumane what's happening in our food production system. Uh, and there's things that we can do to change how we get food. So so make it more humane and reduce the suffering yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's ways to do that. There's a lot of good resources out there about food production. Even if you do continue to eat meat, I think there's a way that you can do it in an ethical and humane way. Right. I still think there's a little bit of mental gymnastics as you're still killing an animal. It's hard because like I've rationalized it in the past of like they eat each other in nature so we can eat them too. Right. But I'm not sure if it's the same because we have the ability to do it in a more humane way and they're driven by instinct. Right. We have these higher cognition. We have the sense of morality that they don't. So I think we have a more of a responsibility. Yeah. So what are some of your kind of final thoughts about this just to wrap this up? I mean, I just find it really difficult to reconcile the Christian triomni God of the Bible who claims to love us. And what does it say that every hair on our head is numbered um, and he cares for the sparrows and all that, that he would simply spark everything in motion and watch with indifference as evolution unfolded over billions of years. Animals suffered, tragedies occurred, extinctions happened, people starved in famines, died of diseases, and it just goes on. It doesn't add up for me, and the mental gymnastics that's required to hold all that up is just too much. Mm. Naturalism is simpler than Christianity. So unless Christianity explains reality better, you have to go with the simpler explanation. Yeah. So it's naturalism. I mean, just get rid of just get rid of theism. It doesn't make any it doesn't explain reality better. Right. It doesn't. So you're speaking at it like if God started evolution. Yeah. My thing would be like if you believe that God created the world, that it's even more damning of a case against that deity because the amount of suffering in the animal kingdom, it's it's unfathomable. And most people, regardless of religion, would agree that animal suffering is bad. So what I find disturbing, it seems like that more people seem to agree that animal suffering is a problem and it's not okay, but human suffering isn't a motivator for action, you know, so sin can't be the scapegoat for all the suffering in the world because a triomni God, he knew that man would sin. He did nothing about it. So if there is a God, he has to be responsible for the suffering of the world, animal or otherwise. Yeah. Even if you take the fall at face value and you say it did happen. Yeah. God totally knew it was going to happen. And so he planned it. Yeah. He either planned it or he allowed it. 
And then all the suffering is because he had a temper tantrum when Eve <laughs> ate the fruit. And so he's like, well, now everything's going to suck. Yeah. Well, and you see that kind of happen in the in the story because he said, well, now as a result of what you did, there's going to be pain in childbirth. The man is going to have to till the ground and yada, yada. So and the snake lost its legs. Yeah somehow yet another closing quote if you mm. want to go ahead and read this one okay yeah so this quote is from terry pratchett he's an author the quote goes like this i was walking along the bank of a stream when i saw a mother otter with her cubs a very endearing sight i'm sure you'll agree and even as i watched the mother otter dived into the water and came up with a plump salmon which she subdued and dragged onto a half submerged log as she ate it while of course it was still alive the body split and I remember to this day the sweet pinkness of its rose. Does the rose? Rose or eggs? Rose or eggs? Oh, fish okay. eggs. Did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> the sweet pinkness of its rose as they spilled out, much to the delight of the baby otters who scrambled over themselves to feed on the delicacy. One of nature's wonders, gentlemen. Mother and children dining upon mother and children. <laughs> and that is when I first learned about evil. It is built into the very nature of the universe. Every world spins in pain. If there is any kind of supreme being, it is up to all of us to become his moral superior. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Be sure to join us on our Facebook page, which is called Dangerous Questions, which is a fun online community where we have discussions, ask questions. You know, it's just a safe place for you to talk Share about cat your, memes. Yeah, cat memes and deconstruction uh, related thoughts and questions. We uh, want that to be a place where we can connect with you, ask questions, talk about the episode, whatever. Feel free to follow us at flawedtheologypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you would be so kind to rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple, all those kind of things just kind of help us in general and know that you're out there listening, which is awesome. We're stuck at 24 reviews. Oh yeah! After this, maybe we should give a prize. Maybe we should go give a prize out to the twenty-fifth reviewer or something. Is that illegal? I don't know. <laughs> we can give them like something from your closet or something like. Ooh, I've got lots of stuff behind me. <laughs> lots of dress shirts and <laughs> dress shirts. Orioles jerseys. There you go. Oh, you can give them some yo-yo supplies or. Yes. Yeah, I got got plenty of those. So, all right. Well, thanks again for listening, and <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you next time. I used to be really fascinated with um with not cholera. What's the I can't remember the 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 disease that's been in Africa a couple of times. There've been a bunch of big outbreaks about it. Um the bubonic plague? No, not bubonic plague. What the hell is it called? Oh, I know what you mean. Um It's gonna drive me. Oh this. shit. I, it's the one where, where your insides turn to goo. Yes. Hold on, let me just Google it real quick. Why can we not remember the name of that? Please. Outbreak. What the hell is it called? We're going to just edit this where we can't remember the name of the disease. Ebola. I feel so Ebola. stupid. Ebola.